AdamandEve.com is the world's number one online source for adult toys. And I'm Horrified is the world's number one source for nightmares, aren't we, Sam? We so are. So, we've joined forces to bring you some sweet deals. Use our offer code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's H-O-R-R-O-R. AdamandEve.com. We're not horrified at all. I don't like that. Hello, everybody. Hi, listeners. Welcome to our Halloween horror extravaganza. Ooh, spooky. That's not a ghost. Don't freak out. It's just one Sam Bundage. I know I'm a talented voice actress, but it was me the whole time. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I'm taken aback. <laughs> So, for our Halloween episode this week, we're going to go for something a little less structured, a little more freeform. We're just going to tell some spooky tales. Yeah, it's our werewolf bar mitzvah. Yes. And we're just going to kind of go back and forth and tell some spooky stories. Yeah, well, we usually do a good amount of research for you guys, and by a good amount, I mean an hour and 15 minutes. That's about my Yeah, so we're going to take that way down and just do some copy-pasted, fabulous Mm -hmm. Wikipedia, not proven in any way, shape, or form, but you know what? That's not what you came here for. You came here for our charm. It's quantity today, folks, not quality. Absolutely. So, Sam, do you have a story to kick us off with? Oh my god, I do. Ah! So this one, I have to admit, this one I was, like, kind of starting to make this a real story, so this is, like, the the most researched one that I'm going to talk about today. Oh, okay. So we're going to start out strong. Almost. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I want to just say that Sam and I have a shared ghost story, Ooh. and you got to listen to the end if you want to hear it. You guys, a teaser. So don't zone out on us. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't. Hey. Uh. Hey. Oh. Woo. It's gonna get spooky, you guys. It's Halloween. It's what you're here for. Sam, take it away. Oh my god. Okay, so first things first, I am gonna talk about Baba Yaga, who is equal parts horrifying and inspiring to me. Can I just before you get into it say that I saw this in our lists because we have a Google Doc mm-hmm. where we keep all of our possible uh, subjects and I thought it said Baba Yoga and I thought that that was a slang term for goat yoga. Like Baba Yoga. I mean that would totally make sense as a topic <laughs> so you can't really fault me for thinking that. No but, fair. But no. It, so it's not that. It's not that. Okay. Just so I know. So um... Baba Yaga is a reoccurring figure in Russian folklore. Um, and I'm saying Baba Yaga because that's the way the Russians pronounce it. Often in America, you'll hear Baba Yaga, which is, like, not wrong. It's just the American pronunciation. We strive to be as accurate as possible when it comes to cultural sensitivity. Absolutely. Remember when I was saying Fermi so correctly? So stereotypically, <laughs> yes. It's like that. Um, so she appears in a ton of Russian folktales. And, like, many mythological characters, like, details kind of change about her, but there are some things that are always the same. Here they are. Baba Yaga is an ugly and deformed old woman. Same. She is often described as toad-like with bony legs. Same. (laughs) And the narrators in her stories make special mention of the repulsiveness of her nose, breasts, buttocks, and vagina. Like, those are the things that get special shout-outs as, like, being extra hideous. That seems pointedly mean. (laughs) No, right? (laughs) Here are some other things about Baba Yaga. She lives in a house deep in the woods that stands on chicken legs and can, like, move around. 
I don't like that. <laughs> I'm picturing it too vividly. Um, she is a witch and a cannibal. <laughs> All right. Yep. And that is what Yaga means. It's like, in different Slavic languages, like, sometimes it's bad or evil, and sometimes it means witch, or, like, horror, which, like, hell yeah, she's, like, mama horrified. Ding! Um, but, like, that's basically what Yaga means, so it makes sense. But, here's the thing about Baba Yaga. Baba means grandma, like, it's part of babushka. So she's, like, an evil horror witch, but also a sweet grandmother. I'm confused. She contains multitudes, my girl. I don't have to say it again, but same. So just to, like, quantify this, I'm going to quickly tell her most famous story, which is the story of Vasilisa the Beautiful. Ooh. Because it really encapsulates, like, all of her different energies. Here we go. Vasilisa is really beautiful and nice, but she has a really shitty stepfamily, and specifically a super shitty stepmother. Sounds familiar. A lot of shitty stepparents. Heck Yeah. In the world of mythology. So Vasilisa's stepmother is jealous because she is so beautiful and so nice. And so the stepmother keeps trying to, like, low-key kill Vasilisa. Like, she's never like, here's a knife, I'm stabbing you. But it's like, oh, Vasilisa, like, today your job is, like, go out and, like, you know, in the tar pits and just, like, do some work there. Yeah, clean all of our guns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I loaded. Shit like that. And, like, but Vasilisa's always fine. <laughs> and I'm sure totally oblivious, as most yes. beautiful protagonists in tales are. She absolutely is. Um, a th also a thing about Vasilisa, which I'm not too much going to get in, but Vasilisa has a magical doll that helps her with all these impossible tasks that her stepmother is giving her. I would not trust that doll. It's actually nice. The doll comes to life and just, like, does the shit. And Vasilisa just gets to, like, stand there, I assume, brushing her hair. Yeah. Right? She's beautiful. <laughs> She's so gorgeous. So the stepmother is so sick of Vasilisa, but then she remembers. Baba Yaga lives in the woods, and she loves to eat people. So she's like, Vasilisa, can you go see Baba Yaga for me? Can you just knock on her door? She'll know what it's about. <laughs> uh, and Vasilisa's like, sure! So <laughs> Vasilisa rolls up to Baba Yaga's horrifying house on chicken legs. And, uh, is like, hey. Like, she knocks on the door yeah. after she sees it on the chicken legs? <laughs> Absolutely. No. She <laughs> deserves to get like, iced. Hey, what's going on? Uh, my stepmother sent me. So, Baba Yaga is like, alright, I see what's up. Like, somebody wants me to eat this girl. <laughs> <laughs> I've been through this a couple times. <laughs> so she's like, Vasilisa, I'm gonna give you a bunch of, like, menial tasks. Like, here's a bunch of grains of rice. And I want you to, like, separate them from these wheat kernels before dawn. Like, it reminds me of Rapunzel, where it's, like, all these fucking yeah, impossible... Yeah, and, like, Rumpelstiltskin, yeah. which she's gotta weave the whatever. Exactly. So, much like Rumpelstiltskin, Vasilisa gets all this done thanks to her magical doll. But, like, in the morning, Baba Yaga's like, you know what? You're cool as fuck. <laughs> Baba Yaga that. has warmed right up to Vasilisa, and she's like, I'm gonna give you a gift. Here's a lantern made out of a skull. <laughs> Um, and Vasilisa's like, thanks! <laughs> Just fucking idiot. <laughs> Goes home, and is like, hey, stepmother, check out this cool shit that Baba Yaga gave me, and as soon as she, like, shows it to the stepmother, the sh it engulfs the stepmother in flames, and she dies. And then Vasilisa gets to live happily ever after. She marries a king or some shit. So, <laughs> a happy ending. Yeah, but, kind like... Kind of. That was so savage of Baba Yaga. 
I love that energy of just like, now that I like you, here's a skull lantern I had hanging around and it will burn your stepmother to death. Not only am I not going to eat you, but here's an awesome parting gift. But, like, that's my favorite thing about Baba Yaga. And, like, in mythology, roles are usually really rigid, right? That's true. Like, because you need archetypes of, like, here's a bad person, and they're always bad. Or, like, another archetype in mythology is, like, the donor who, like, gives the main character something important. But, like, Baba Yaga is both and neither, she just, like, does whatever she's in the mood to she do. She is fickle and constant. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And her vagina is apparently awful to look at. Like, I'm just <laughs> such a huge fan of hers. Like, there's another Baba Yaga story where she tricks and kidnaps a little boy because she is hungry and wants to eat him. And, like, that's the story. And those two things happen the same day. Yeah. That was just later that same afternoon. Oh, my God. I love that. Thank uh, you for that. Yeah. So I love her um, more than anything. I want to, like, be like her sometimes because, like, in this awful world Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like I wish that my house was walking around on chicken legs like I wish that I was a magical ancient wisdom witch and like she's also considered an earth mother like I'm into that I really identify with that vibe of like sometimes I need to eat a couple people today but like tomorrow I don't know we'll see how I'm feeling absolutely I fucking love Bobby I love her I fucking love her I was ready to not like her but I love her no matter how hideous her vagina is yeah no matter how many small children she eats no and how many by her. women she burns alive. Whatever. I stand. We stand. We stand her. Baba Yaga. Thank God. That's my first spooky myth for you. Oh, I love. <laughs> so we're going to go from spooky myth into spooky murder town a little bit. Woo! We don't really have rules for this episode. So I want to tell you about a murder that happened in my hometown of Framingham, Massachusetts ah. in 1995. So it's August 29th. And a 40-year-old, he's like a businessman. I think he worked in Boston, where we now live. He was an insurance executive. He comes home. He's in a bad mood. He's also abusive, Mm -hmm. just for color. And so he comes home, and his wife has apparently burnt dinner. Mm -hmm. So they were having a ziti casserole, and she burnt it in the oven. Mm -hmm. And an argument ensued from there. Mm -hmm. So the legend has it. Oh, by the way, they have a one-year-old daughter who's in the house. Oh, gosh. For what's about to happen. That raises the stakes incredibly, no no matter what's about to happen. I'm just going to tell you she lives. Oh, good. um, Great. Great. (laughs) That leads you to the natural conclusion that the wife does not. Um, What he decides to do because of this argument is strangle his wife to death. Great. Okay. And then take it a couple steps further. He's, so not, he, he's not satisfied with just the death? No, no. Oh. No, no. Um, he carries her body, drags her body out into the backyard. One-year-old's still in the house. Great. Um, he dissects her body, smashes her head in with a rock. Great. And then takes all of her organs out. Perfect. Okay, so right now we're getting into a weird place, right? I don't know. I I gotta admit I cannot follow his train of thought at the moment. We're just gonna have to, you know, suspense of disbelief. <laughs> um, so the organs are out. He takes um, a bunch of garden stakes and puts her organs on stakes all around the lawn. Uh, because... Unclear. Okay. Moving forward. So then, after that, he runs into the house, takes the baby, nope. puts them both in the car, doesn't hurt the baby... But then drives away. I don't know where he drives. The police find him. (laughs) Good. Which is good. Great. And he's kind of losing it. But kind of unconvincingly. 
And then so when he's on trial, he says that aliens came to him through his wife's body. And the only way to kill the aliens was to kill his wife and dismember her and take out all her organs. Otherwise, the alien would live. Uh-huh. So, you know, fair enough. Makes a lot of sense. I would just say, like, imagine being their neighbor and being like, what's going on at the Johnsons today? And yep. then looking across your yard and being like, I like to think that they had a nosy neighbor named, like, maybe Janice or something like that. And Janice was always kind of poking her nose over the fence. And then she never fucking did that again because one day she poked her nose over the fence and she saw the dismembered corpse of a woman who she used to judge. (sighs) That's kind of it. He went to jail. I'm glad. Spooky. It is spooky. One time you told me about this, and there was a really morbid joke that went with it. <gasps> oh my god, I can't believe I forgot. Can you okay, tell me? Let can me you tell, tell you the our joke. Listeners, the morbid joke. So this is a joke that went around my hometown and proves that everyone in my hometown is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Sam, why was he so mad that she burnt the ziti? I don't know why. Cause he had his heart set on the stake. Whoa! Um, so that doesn't make any sense because it was her heart set on the stake. Um, so yeah, that's, um, the burnt ziti murder of 1995. Oh, God. All right. What's your next one? Oh my God. I have another myth. Is that okay? Yeah, no, do another myth. I'm in a folklore mood. Mine are both kind of personal related. Oh my God. I mean, that wasn't personal. I didn't know these people. I was one. Fair enough. (laughs) But it's your town. Mm -hmm. All right. Now we're going to talk about Bluebeard. Ooh. So Bluebeard is a French folktale. And the most famous version of it was written down in 1697. But it's one of, again, like, folktales, they exist forever in different forms. Old. So to start this chat off, we're going to start with a game of Would You? (gasps) Love. So I'm going to describe Bluebeard, and then at the end you have to say, Would You? Ready? Like, would I fuck him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. More specifically, would you marry him? But. Got it. For. To fuck him. Okay. Bluebeard is a foreign merchant. Yes. He is not handsome. We can work with it. He is incredibly wealthy. Yes. He has been married six times before. Okay. All of those wives have mysteriously disappeared. Okay. He comes to your town and hosts several banging parties in your neighborhood. <gasps> yes. And he lives in a gorgeous mansion. Love it. Would you? Uh, okay. The thing with the wives concerns me. <laughs> um, but... I'm gonna have to say I'm gonna have to say yes, and and I'm gonna just assume that it will be different with me. Absolutely. Well, that's what the protagonist of our story assumes as well. Ayo. So she's like a simple country girl. Same. Bluebeard comes to her town, throws all of these banging parties. Oh my and god! Like, I would like to marry you, and her family is like, "Do you know that Bluebeard's been married six times before, and we don't know where any of those wives are?" And she's like, "I think it's fine." Look how sparkly my diamond is. Exactly. And she marries him. So, she is whisked away to his fabulous mansion. It's gorgeous. And she's given a ring of silver keys, which open all the doors in the house. And he's like, my love, behind all of these doors is more and more riches. Like, you open one door, room full of diamonds. You open another door, room full of gold. Here's another door, like, room full of rubies. Love it. It's just lit. And he's like, I'm also going to give you this gold key. It opens the mysterious door. I'm going to ask that as a favor to me, as your husband, you do not open that door. Why would he give her the key? He's just asking her to open it. Well, 
he's he's but he's what he's saying to her Allie, is don't open the door that this key opens i'm just a woman for god's sake <laughs> i want to open shit if i can <laughs> absolutely so he goes on a business trip Obviously, you and Bluebeard's wife have a lot in common, because she makes a beeline for this mysterious room. Of course she fucking would! <laughs> she opens the door, and what does she find? All six wives. Dead. Yeah! The dead, dismembered corpses <gasps> of his other six oh, wives. Oh, I'm scared. Um, so she freaks out, drops her key, falls in a puddle of blood. She picks up the key, closes and locks the door, and just, like, takes a minute to process what she just saw. And, she's, and she comes to the decision, like, okay... I'm gonna pretend that never happened. Are you fucking kidding me? That didn't happen. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. We're fine. But she looks down at the key and it's covered in blood. So she's like, all right, I'm gonna wash this key off. And then I'm gonna pretend this never happened. Never happened. I'm gonna go back to the diamond room. But this is a folktale, y'all. That key is magic. And once you get blood on it, it cannot come off. So Bluebeard gets back from his business trip and he sees the bloody key and he's like, hmm. So you opened my dead wife's room. And she's like, what? No. Of course not. I love you so much. I would never do that. And he's like, no, you did. You opened my dead wife's room. And she's like, yeah. Okay, but if that were me, I would be like, (laughs) in what universe are you mad at me right now? He is. He's furious. And he's like, if you open the dead wife's room, that means you have to stay forever in the dead wife's room. A.K.A. you have to be one of my dead wives. A.K.A. I'm going to kill you. And so she's like, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I get it. I broke your trust. Mommy made a boo-boo. Can I just spend the evening, like, in prayer? And then you can kill me in the morning. And he's like, alright, I don't wanna, but I feel like I can't say no. I am a godly man, disregarding the fact that I've killed my previous six wives and I'm planning on killing you in the morning. Classic line. Uh, yeah, spend the evening in prayer. And, like, because this is a fairy tale, luckily, by spending the evening in prayer, she buys enough time that her brothers show up in the morning to be like, hey, like, sis, how's your day going? And she's like, he has a room of dead wives! And they kill him. Good. So she's safe, she inherits the house, and she's a millionaire now, and she buries the six dead wives. Good ending. The thing that I find the most interesting about this story is, like, the themes of it. So there's, like, obviously, like, the danger of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Very much like Eve eats the apple. She can't uneat it when you open the dead wives' room. Feels different, though, because you <laughs> just close the door. Also, why didn't key, she leave? But the key is covered in blood now. Uh, um, Something really interesting is that um, a lot of people saw it as a metaphor for childbirth because, like, that was really, really dangerous. And a lot of people had, like, dead wives because they, uh, you know, insert their key and then... The wives die. Interesting. And it's, like, a very clear metaphor when you think about it that way. And it, like, used to be really dangerous for, like, young women to get married because they might very easily die. That's true. I'm like, that's so interesting. That is interesting. Right? Um, but the most interesting thing, I think, um, I read, like, an interesting synopsis and they were like, why did Bluebeard kill his first wife? So, like, in theory, he killed wives two through six because they opened the dead wives' room. Right? And that was, like, a test. Mm-hmm. They all failed. Why did he kill wife number one? There Do was... you have an answer? No. It's Ooh. just, like, interesting to think about. <gasps> Spooky. And it also connects with just, like, the feeling that, like, women just have to be careful because, like, men might kill them. That's very true. That's just, like, a lesson of this myth in it. In also is, like, if you get married, he might kill you. 
And it's just, like, it, to me, this story, like, connects so much with a modern dread of womanhood of, like, yeah, I could just die. Um, like, some dude could just kill me. That I just think it's really, really interesting. So, like, at first when I read the story, I was, like, silly. But then you think about it in, like, a modern context, and you're like, I'm spooked. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween! Oh my god. That's exciting. There's also, Jezebel came out with a really interesting article called Something is Wrong in This House, How Bluebeard Became the Definitive Fairy Tale of Our Era. <gasps> where they talk about a lot of these themes. Highly recommend. Okay. Amazing. Those are my two folktales for you. We can come back into a more modern era with you, Allie. Actually, we're not going into a modern era because my next story is about my grandmother. Woo! A more modern era, though, than 1600s France. I mean, a little bit. (laughs) So I think this was probably in the 1940s Mm -hmm. or early 1950s. So my grandmother, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, she was a really cool, badass lady um, who worked in New York. And, um... They grew, she grew up in White Plains, I believe. Her mother died when she was in her teen years, tragically. Mm-hmm. And so she had two brothers and one sister. So there were two girls, one boy, and the father in the house. Mm-hmm. One day, I don't remember who it was. I believe it was her older sister, Lillian, who brought home a Ouija board. Ooh. And so they had never seen it before. And they were like, ooh, my stars. I don't know how they talked in the 1940s. That's not how she talked. So they got this Ouija board and they were like, ooh, like, let's, you know, let's set it up. Let's mm-hmm. play with it. I never knew my um, great aunt Lillian. I, I feel like she would be into very, very into like astrology and Hell yeah. cards. Nice. I love that. Um, I just get that vibe from her. But so they set up the Ouija board. And so their mother has died fairly recently, like within the last year or so. And the board starts spelling out mother says hello <gasps> a bunch of times. Uh. And so then they all start fighting. Because, you know, they're like, this isn't funny, you know what I mean? Like, who's doing this? That's, like, really, you know, like, you know, they were kind of upset. Yeah, like, like cause they're like, up. you know, like, why would you do this? that? But then it starts spelling something else. It started spelling out the words Flying Ned. And so that they couldn't be mad about, because they were like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> it kept spelling out, kept spelling out, kept spelling it out. And their father, who was in the room but not playing with them, was like, oh, that's a horse. That's a horse that's in this list of the horse races for tomorrow that you can bet on. <gasps> and they bet on it. Yeah, I would too. And it won. <gasps> yeah. So that's like the ghost tale uh, of my family. Here's a question that I have about all those types of stories. And it's like, why can ghosts see the future? Because like in a lot of the stories, it's like, and then they told me this thing that hadn't happened yet. Like, why do you get that power when you're a ghost? I think death frees you from linear time. Mm, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think so. I'm into that. I'm into it. Well, clearly. Or maybe yeah. she was just like, I don't know, try that one. <laughs> maybe she just got really into horse racing. Yeah, maybe she, she was, was like, just like up on the games. <laughs> the jockey of flying net Who is knows? very talented. And she was up there somewhere like, I can't believe that worked. That's so funny. <laughs> she was like, thank God. Um, But, because if it lost, it would have been a, a serious fuck you from yeah. above. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's the Ouija board story that I was told when I was a youngin. Uh, my mom never let me have a Ouija board, even though I was a very witchy, strange child. Oh my god, I would... She would allow, like, crystals in my room, but she would not allow a Ouija board. I would not allow a Ouija board. That's too spooky. For me. I never used one. I probably wouldn't use one. No, but... too spooky. Because I'm like, ooh, whatever, it doesn't matter, like, it's just, you know, fun. And But there's, like, my Catholic upbringing in the back of my mind, like, that is a portal to the underworld. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think it's time for us to turn this episode over to you all. Yeah, start talking like idiots. No. You 
<laughs> you guys wrote into us with some of your spooky tales, Ooh. ghost stories, be they personal or otherwise. And we are pumped to share some of those with you. So I'm going to let Sam kick us off with an email from Bethany. Oh my God. All right. Here's Bethany. Hey, ladies. Hey, Bethany. That was us, not Bethany. (laughs) Here's a spooky story for you. I still can't explain it. This is Sam talking to Sam. Is this going to be too scary for me? It's not that scary. Okay. I'm a big scary cat. Yeah, I know. Sam's a huge scary cat. Okay. Here's a spooky story for you. I still can't explain it. So one morning, I woke up sweating with my heart pounding, one of those dreams that feels real even though it wasn't. My boyfriend asked me what was wrong. I told him about the dream I was having. In the dream, there was someone screaming for help in my shower. I ran into the bathroom to find a man I didn't know asking me to hold him and help him. Oh, spooky. I tried, but was also asking over his screaming, who are you? And... Oh, fuck. Um, sorry, I'm just reading this for the first time. <laughs> You're um, scared. I'm so sorry I did this to you. <laughs> um, I tried, but was also asking over his screaming, who are you and where are your legs? What the fuck? He didn't have any legs, which could explain his screaming. Yeah, Bethany. Bethany, what the fuck <laughs> were you on? But I couldn't figure out what this strange man was doing in my shower or how he got there. Um, my engineer, matter-of-fact boyfriend, starts chewing on this, his inner lip. He never does this. And he says, oh my god. And he, I ask him what's wrong, and he tells me about his dream. No, Bethany! <laughs> he is in a dream, asleep in our bed, and he hears a bunch of screaming and commotion coming from the bathroom. Ugh, but he can't get up to come help because there's a pair of legs in the bed! And he doesn't know who they belong to?! He just knows they aren't mine. What? Okay, so she's written what the fuck, but I would also at this point say what the fuck. Oh my god. This is so spooky. <laughs> Was it a ghost? Someone who got spliced while transporting to another dimension? I like that theory. I love that theory. I have no clue, but it's spooky AF, and I'll tell this story till I die. Oh god, Bethany. And then she says, like, some very nice things about our podcast. So thank you, Bethany. Thanks, Bethany. But also, no thank you, Bethany. I didn't want to read that story. Yeah, Jesus. <gasps> Lay off the Zoloft, Bethany. Because these uh, these can't be these can't be natural dreams. That's so scary. Oh my goodness. Uh, <gasps> okay. Dreams so, are scary. Dreams are another fucking dimension. I'm telling you. I'm scared of dreams. Um, I have had some vivid scary dreams lately, but we won't go into that. No, and I don't want you to go into it even privately because it will scare me too scary. much. So I'm going to read um, one other email that we got. The emails are kind of long, so we're not going to do too many of them. Um, but this one's from Mary Beth. Hi, Mary Beth. Um, hello, Sam and Allie. I'm a huge fan, and I saw your call for spooky stories on Twitter, and I have one. I wanted to tell you all the story of Murder Creek near the small towns of Bruton and Burnt Corn, Alabama. I cannot believe that is a place. I love that. Um, also, Mary Beth sent us a lot of info, so I did cut a little bit. Sorry, Mary Beth, if I misrepresent you. So back to her email. The formerly named Burnt Corn, Aluchahacha Creek, wow, good thing they renamed it, was renamed during what my grandfather thought was the Trail of Tears era to Murder Creek, but no one in my family co- could really remember why. In my grandpop's words, grandpop is the most adorable sentiment for a grandfather. Alabama. Um, I ain't never known whether it was Indians that killed them or Indians that was killed. <laughs> So that's a good jumping off point. Sounds about right for the and history she says, of this country. Yeah, as she says, so of course I did some digging. Murder Creek was renamed in 1788, way before Alabama was even a state, and the and way, way before the Trail of Tears. 
though obviously not before white people sucked, because, like, when was that? (laughs) When Colonel Kirkland and his friends were brutally murdered by a traveling band of psychopaths. What? A a band of psychopaths? I know, I love this. This is not going where I thought it was going to be. So, according to a super badly titled book written in 1851, quote, History of Alabama and Incidentally of Georgia and Mississippi from the Earliest Period by Albert James Pickett, that is a terribly named book. I like to imagine he intended to just write a book about Alabama, but then he was like, fuck, Georgia and Mississippi are in this book so There's really much. a lot in here about Mississippi. <laughs> um, according to this book, Kirkland and his friends were traveling through burnt corn with a fuck ton of silver when they met a sketchy group of definite murderers heading for Pensacola. The book describes them like this. Quote, this party consisted of a Hillaby Indian who had murdered so many men that he was called Istalicha, the manslayer. Nice. A desperate white man, classic, (laughs) who had fled from the States for a crime of murder and whom, on account of his activity and ferocity, the Indians called the cat. And a bloodthirsty, and he uses uh, the N-word. Great. Named Bob, the property of Sullivan a creek trader from the Hillabies, so an enslaved person. And she also writes, thankfully, obviously there's a tiny smidge of racism in there. And then she puts in parentheses, only a white dude would call another murderous white dude a desperate white man. (laughs) (laughs) Which, fair enough. And she also says, and I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Bob was not voluntarily involved in this mess. Hashtag justice for Bob. So Colonel Kirkland was traveling through Escambia County with a bunch of saddlebags full of silver, don't do that, heading for Louisiana when he decides to take a little nap under the tree by the Burnt Corn Creek outside of Bruton, Alabama. He and his companions were woken in the middle of the night by these totally chill dudes who took their guns, (laughs) their silver, and, parentheses, dramatically, their lives. I had a hard time feeling sorry for the victims since they were A, soldiers chilling in Alabama to force Native Americans off their land for white settlers, and B, royalists on their way to Spanish colonies because they weren't down for the whole democracy thing. But, obviously, no one deserves to be woken up in the middle of their REM cycle, let alone be murdered. (laughs) The merry band of murderers ran immediately to the Creek Nation to hide, which, shockingly, did not work out for the one white man in the group, the cat. Um, So the other people escaped. And there he was hanged until he was dead. So... That's pretty crazy, but then she goes on to say that a group of Native Americans were killed by some of Andrew Jackson's lieutenants, Mm -hmm. and then um, in 1966, there was a murder there of a, I believe it was a black woman who was on a solo fishing trip on Murder Creek, and it was near a whites-only hunting lodge, so that's terrifying, but it wasn't even looked into as a case, which is absolute bullshit. Um... And then in 2001, Scotty King was found dead on the banks of Murder Creek, and his murder was also never solved. And most recently, in 2012, 50-year-old Ina Jackson was reported missing, and she was discovered underneath that bridge. Wow. So um, she closes off this email by saying, This started out as a kind of wacky story that I thought y'all would find funny for burnt corn Alabama alone, (laughs) but kind of devolved into a really depressing look over time at a systematic history of racism and police incompetence or outright obstruction in a rural area of Alabama. I'm sure I haven't done the shady history of this creek enough justice, but there's only so much you can find out about a small town in Alabama from Google alone. I do feel pretty confident saying this creek must be haunted and or cursed, though. And even if it's not, I'm horrified. Ugh. Bless you, Mary Beth. That's Best. crazy and creepy. Oh my god. Um, and I love your description of a murderous band of psychopaths. Oh my god. <laughs> That's I'm amazing. I'm overwhelmed. I have a whole branch of my family back in the day that were massacred by Native Americans, which is fun. Yes, you told me that. Yeah, That's they crazy. they almost definitely deserved it. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. And one guy lived, and he's who I'm related to, so I'm fine with it. That's fine, for sure. 
I mean, anyone who died in my family, like, before the 1800s totally deserved it. And after. (laughs) All right, let's take it to Twitter. Woo! Now, here are a couple of um, things that people wrote into us on Twitter. First of all, um, Raina Deerwater from There's Nothing Ironic About Show Choir, which is another fabulous podcast on Uh, iTunes. I'm a big fan of There's Nothing Ironic About Show Choir. Yes, and a good personal friend of ours wrote, and I quote... Oh, that bitch with the ribbon around her neck when we ask for spooky stories. Uh, true. So what she's referring to is a story that was in a collection of stories that a lot of you know because it's been making its meme rounds on the internet. Mm-hmm. Spooky stories to s- tell in the dark. Mm-hmm. And the pictures alone from that were terrifying. They were awful. But I found the story online and Sam, I'm going to have you read it. Oh my god. You're going to get spooked, but we're going to be here. It's honestly not that spooky, but I, I remember how fucking stupid this story was and I can't wait to listen to it again. Ugh, I'm excited. Um, thematically it has a lot in common with Bluebeard, I'm remembering, but let's talk Ooh. about it. Alright. Billy whistled a jazzy tune. Tonight's the night, he thought. Perfect opening. <laughs> so I'd like every book to open. Yeah. Um, Ahab whistled a <laughs> Tonight's the night, he thought. I won't catch the whale. Tonight's the night, he thought. He strolled through Central Park on his way to meet Sally, his best girl. Mm. There was still snow on the ground, but Bill could smell the spring air. He jingled the engagement ring in his pocket. A June wedding would be just right. Bill saw Sally coming down the path towards him. He ran to her. He spun her around in his arms. This is romantic. Doesn't stay romantic. I know. Sally squealed with delight. Bill settled Sally back down onto the park bench. He kneeled on one knee in front of her. Bill's doing this very quick. Sally, Bill said, you are the most beautiful girl I've ever met. I love you and I want you to be my wife. Will you marry me? (gasps) Sally laughed and said, yes, I will marry you. As Bill gazed lovingly at his bride-to-be, his eyes lingered on the red velvet ribbon that Sally always wore around her neck. Why do you always wear that red ribbon? Bill asked. So, right after they get engaged? The moment. It's fucking weird. It's like the first time he noticed it. it was like, now that you're my wife, I'd like you to change the way you dress. Yeah. Why do you always wear that red ribbon? Bill asked. Sally said, Bill, I must never take off my red ribbon. Bill smiled at Sally and left the ribbon alone. <laughs> Good move, Bill. <laughs> Bill and Sally were married that June. Bill found a lovely little house in a nice neighborhood and they moved in. Bill bought Sally many party dresses, but Sally always wore her red ribbon with each outfit. Bill thought this was odd. Bill should keep his opinions to himself. Yeah, why does he hang up on this? Just let her wear (laughs) her shit. Uh, Sally just smiled and said, I must never take off my red ribbon. Okay, that's a creepy way to put that. Because I would just be like, I like it. Fuck off. (laughs) Just shut up. Why do you wear your fucking Patriots jersey all the time? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You just like it. You like it. You like things. <laughs> Don't talk to me anymore. After a few years, Sally found out she was going to have a baby. This news delighted Bill. Sally talked with her friends who had babies. Bill talked with his buddies who had children. What? They fucking <laughs> weird way to phrase that. <laughs> they talked together late into the night about what they had learned from everyone. When the big day came, Sally said, Please tell the doctor I must not take off my red ribbon. Bill was frustrated, but he promised Sally that he would tell the doctor. He's like, why does this keep coming up? (laughs) After the baby was born, Bill gave Sally flowers. That was nice. Why is that part of the story? I don't know. The story is rambling. It kind of is. Thank you for the flowers, Bill, Sally said. 
And thank you for telling the doctor I must not take off my red ribbon. It's the fact that she always uses the word must. That's what I think throws you off about yeah. it. I must not take off my red ribbon. Yeah. Not like, I can't. Um, Bill did not understand why the red ribbon was so important. Neither do I. Do you want to hold little Billy? Sally asked. Bill, Sally, and little Billy lived happily for many years in the small, lovely house in the nice neighborhood. When little Billy was a baby, he would sometimes reach for the red ribbon around his mother's neck. Sally would gently take his little hands in hers and coo at him, saying, Mommy must never take off her red ribbon. Again with the must. (laughs) It's too much. I think it is. The red ribbon had frustrated Bill for a long time. He loved Sally with all his heart, but he did not understand her need to wear the red ribbon. After many years, Bill had an idea. Our anniversary is coming up. I will buy Sally a beautiful necklace. She will take off that old red ribbon so she can wear the beautiful necklace. Their anniversary came. Bill took Sally to a fancy restaurant overlooking Central Park. They had a delicious meal. Then, Bill gave Sally a velvet box with a beautiful diamond necklace in it. She opened it, smiled, and tears came to her eyes. Bill put the necklace around her neck and started to take off the red ribbon. Sally stopped him. (laughs) Yeah, because she's been so clear. She said, I must never take off my red ribbon. Bill sat back in his seat with a huff. He looked at Sally and shook his head. I may never understand, Bill said. Sally gently placed the diamond necklace back in the velvet box and closed the lid. You can just wear them both. Yeah. It is lovely, Bill. I will treasure it always, she said. But I must never take off my red ribbon. Why? Bill asked, as he had for so many years. Sally smiled sadly and shook her head. She did not answer him. Late that night, Bill was still awake. I've loved Sally for more than 20 years, but she insists on wearing that horrible red ribbon around her neck. I think it's time I found out why. No, Bill. Bill got out of bed and walked around to Sally's side. Bill carefully pinched the ends of the bow on the ribbon. He began to slowly pull on the ribbon. The bow became smaller and smaller. The loops of the bow pulled through and only a half knot was left. Bill slid his finger under the half knot and tugged. Zip! The red ribbon gave way. Pop! Sally's head came off. It rolled right onto the floor, bouncing in the moonlight. One large tear fell from Sally's eye. I warned you, she said. The end. The end? That's how it ends. I assume she dies shortly after because her head's off. I don't think that she dies. I think that she's just like, this is kind of how my body is. Like, I'm half a head, and, you know, my body works. So, she, he, so you think he could just put the ribbon back on her and she'll be fine? I think he has to pay for his crimes by having a dead wife. I think that, I mean, definitely he can put the head back on, but the trust is gone. <laughs> All right. Another. Uh, thank you, Raina, for thank you, recommending Raina, for that. that. Um, we got another person who wrote in on Twitter. Um, I cannot pronounce your Twitter name. It's at J-I-R-I-A-Y-A-12. Jiriaya? Whatever it is. I don't know. Thank you for writing in. They mentioned the werewolf of Gross Point Woods, and I was like, what's that? Um, so I got this story from what looks like a travel website called ClickOnDetroit.com. Click on Detroit. 
So, <laughs> this travel website said, when the moon is full and high in the sky, can you hear echoes of howling in the night? If you do, it might not be the neighbor's dog. Great writing. <laughs> it could be the werewolf of Gross Point. There's a fascinating tale of a young woman named Genevieve who lived there with her father. She was leaving to enter a convent in Three Rivers, Canada. That's really specific. Yeah. <laughs> her young lover was distraught that she was leaving, so he made a pact with an old Native American, racist, that he would sell his soul to the devil to keep her in Michigan. <laughs> what? <laughs> the pact was a that... punishment he... worse than death. <laughs> I know. The pact was that he could be turned into a werewolf and he could pursue her and keep her. How is that, like, a good trade? <laughs> One night, the werewolf tracked Genevieve and she fought him off and turned him into stone. How is this woman who's clearly a witch going to a convent? <laughs> I was gonna say maybe it was God. Maybe, maybe it was God. Maybe God was like, "You're uh, you're my girl. Yeah. I got you." He spent the rest of his days as a rock on the shore of Lake Saint Clair. Nice. So that's thank you. So what I'm hearing is there's a rock that's vaguely shaped like a dog in Michigan. <laughs> yes, but this has a part two, which is another person wrote in. With an eerily similar story that's in Columbia County, New York. Mm. So Lori wrote in about Spook Rock Road, which already spooky. Yes. And there's similar rock themes. Uh-huh. Distraught lovers. Love it. Racism towards Native Americans. A lot of these have that. All right, let's get into it. So in the eastern part of Greenport, there is a street by the Clave Rack Creek called Spook Rock Road. Local legend has it that an Indian princess of great beauty ran off with her lover without her father's blessing. In their flight, the two youths paused to rest on a boulder in the creek. Why the fuck would you go into a creek to sit on a boulder and lie down? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. By breaking Indian tradition and religious laws, they had greatly angered the tribe's god, who upon seeing them at the rock caused a great flood which carried the lovers to their death. The boulder and the spirits of the lovers came to rest along the banks of the stream near Spook Rock Road. The young maiden spirit, I don't like that term, (laughs) supposedly haunts the spot to this day. Formerly a popular swimming hole for the neighborhood youth, some locals attest that at certain times of the year, a low moaning sound may be heard in the wind as it sweeps across the river from the Catskills. Supposedly, the spirit of the dead maiden remains to this day in constant search for her lost lover. Oh. Lori says that the boulder can still be seen in the middle of the creek. (gasps) Lots of creeks today. Lots of creeks today. Spooky. Creeks are spooky. Spooky. They're spookier than rivers, I think. So thank you to everyone who wrote in to us on Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod or at our email, Woo. which is I'm Horrified Podcast at gmail.com. You guys are the best in the world. You guys are our favorites in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you for loving us we love or you. tolerating us or forgetting to take us off your subscriptions on iTunes. We thank appreciate you the you most. No matter what. <laughs> um, but you've come all this way, so we're going to tell you. The shared ghost story that Sam and I have together, Ooh. which is really a huge letdown because it's it's not true. It's very fake. <laughs> it's very fake. I don't even really remember how it started. Okay, so I'll refresh your memory, and you jump in when you remember. Yeah. But so, we were matched up randomly as dorm mates freshman year, and we Absolutely. got put in the same room, so we were in the same suite together, mm-hmm. but we shared a room. Yes. And we would consistently find pennies... Everywhere. Everywhere. And who who even uses pennies? No who, one. Who in college uses cash? No, we didn't, neither of us ever had cash. And we would talk about that all the time. But we would find them, like, in our beds. Yeah. We would find them everywhere. And so, I don't know if you know this about uh, me and me and Allie, but we're dramatic. Yeah. 
So we were like, this is a calling card of a murderer. Absolutely. And so we, to this day, talk about the penny murderer who... Who marks you with his deathly penny. (laughs) Yeah, and when you find a penny, you know that the murderer is going to come for you. Yeah. So, but the beautiful thing about this is that we then exacerbated the tale... (laughs) Because whenever we would find pennies, like, I would, like, put them in your desk. Yeah. And or, like, I, yeah, I would find them and put them, like, under your pillow. I'd put them, yeah, on top of your pillow. <laughs> yeah. Like, in the in the middle of your duvet or something yeah. like that. We got our other roommates into it. And, yeah. like, you know. But that. every time I see a penny on the ground, I'm, like, fucking marked penny yes. murderer. I here. think I still, anytime I see a penny, yeah. think, like, penny murderer, he's back. So, all right, anytime you see a penny on the ground, I'm going to need you guys to take a picture of that, send it to us on Twitter, because you've been marked by the penny murder. It's him, you guys. You're next. <sighs> this was fun. This was spooky. We need more spooky tales in our lives. Yeah. Or less. I don't know. But I had fun. I had a blast. Thank you guys so much for, for doing this loosey-goosey episode with us. I know. It's been fraught. Yeah, spam. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> but, yeah... Our email is still open for you to send us topic suggestions, so you can find us at our email there. Again, that's imhorrifiedpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us at imhorrifiedpodcast.com, which is our website, and you can always follow us on Twitter at imhorrifiedpod. But um, until you are marked and subsequently murdered by the penny murderer, uh, we hope you stay horrified. Stay horrified! Whoa! Whoa!